0: Well, the message this morning was the message probably I was going to give a couple weeks ago, but Lord put it on hold. So when he does that, I always say like, ooh, it must have been somebody who wasn't going to make it to church that day. And they really needed to hear that message. So we preach a different message instead. So if you're here today, this message may be the one for you. Uh, this is a message that we find in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's really part of the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, We've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, actually, since the summer. And we have looked at different pieces of it. But we never really looked at the conclusion. Jesus is teaching all these things, and he's sort of straightening out all of the misconceptions and the ways in which people were doing things and shouldn't have been doing them and, and helping people to see the path that they should be on if they want to be part of the kingdom of God. And then he has this conclusion. So it's in Matthew chapter 7. If you can turn there, it's page uh, 861, if you want to use the Pew Bible there. We give some of you help that way um, so that you can find it quickly. But as we come to this passage, this this, this passage, verse 24 through 29, it is the conclusion, and it's a conclusion that we should not ignore. You know, when you're like watching a movie or a series, you know, on, on Netflix or something like that, and you don't see the last conclusion, don't see the last episode, you somehow missed it, or or, or they took it off the air before you got to see it, you're left hanging, right? Well, Jesus didn't want to leave the people hanging. He wanted them to understand what this all means and what this all leads up to. And so in this final paragraph of chapter 7, you quickly realize, because the first word of verse 24 is, therefore... And those of you who have done any Bible study know that there's a reason that's there for. It's because something that was said before now leads to this conclusion. It's not standing on its own as as a separate thought. So I want us to get our hearts and minds around it. Before we do that, I want us to pray. Because God's word is a message for our hearts and our minds. Not just our minds. Not even just our hearts, but our hearts and our minds. The Spirit of God wants to speak to us this morning. And we need to have ears to hear that. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. There's nothing else like it in the whole world. We hear lots of stuff, lots of information, lots of opinions, lots of theories throughout the week, throughout our lives. But nothing compares to your word. Help us to honor your word this morning by listening for your spirit. Help us by your spirit to understand how this applies to our lives personally and corporately here this morning. We invite you, God, to be our teacher through your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So hopefully you've turned to Matthew chapter 7, and verse 24 through 29 will be the passage we get to, but because there's a therefore, we need to go back a little bit. Because like I said, this doesn't stand on its own. This is the conclusion to three whole chapters of teaching that Jesus has done there on the Sermon on the Mount. So, first of all, he speaks about two different roads in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Now he wants us, Jesus wants us to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't want anyone to perish, scripture says, but all to come to him. So he invites us to him. And he talks about his kingdom, entering into his kingdom. So he says here in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And a few find it. So it's two different gates, entrances, onto two different roads. One is very wide and broad and all kinds of people go down that one, but it leads to destruction. And then there's another gate And another road. And it's more difficult. But it leads to life. And Jesus is trying to lead us to life. Amen? He doesn't want us to perish. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So that, what? All who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus is teaching this not to to make us afraid of destruction, but to, to make us in love with his plan for life, desiring it, wanting it. And that is my prayer for you and for me, is that we want this and that we would choose the road. Yes, it's a little more difficult or a lot more difficult at times, but it leads to life. And life is what Jesus has come to give us. So that's the difference between these two roads. But now there's two more things. If we go on in this passage, verse 15 We're going to see that there's two different kinds of fruit. There's good fruit and bad fruit. And they come from teachers or false prophets or good teachers and good prophets. So verse 15 says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. So they look good on the outside. Sheep's clothing looks good. Wool. Anybody got on a wool sweater today? It's good, right? But on the inside, they're ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their, what does it say? Fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree. So here's the two things. We had two roads. Now we got two, two trees, two kinds of fruit. Every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Again, we have destruction mentioned in verse 13. And now we have fire, right? Destroyed in the fire. But we also have the road to life Good fruit, good things, right? Next. The next thing that we have is kind of, and I've, I've called it like two different kinds of relationships, right? So let's read, let's read these next verses here. This we're getting to the therefore. We're almost there. Now he's talking about people. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them. Let's read this together. I never knew you. This is one of those things that does something to our brains, right? Because we're like, wait a minute, the people who are, are doing these great works of God, right? Prophesying, driving out demons, doing miracles, never knew him? Depart from me. And then he calls them, you lawbreakers. Wow. Sometimes when we see people who are prophesying, who are driving out demons in the power of Jesus' name and doing miracles in Jesus' name. We just put them on a pedestal and say, well, wow, they must be, they must be special. They must be the ones that, that God is blessing, and we better follow them and do what they say and buy their books and go to their seminars, and we better do all this stuff. Because look at, look at, look at what's happening. And what Jesus has just revealed, he sort of like pulled back the curtain and said, they're lawbreakers. I don't even know them messes with your mind a little bit, doesn't it? Helps us to sit up and say, ooh, wait a minute. We've talked about false teachers. Now there's these people who are doing things in the name of Jesus, but they don't even know God. Wow. What are we going to do? Because it seems like we can't discern good from bad, good from evil. It's hard because on the outside, things look a certain way, but on the inside they're different people this can be us sometimes too on the outside we look a certain way but on the inside that's what really matters to god and that's where we struggle and that's where there's this evil and things that need to be gotten rid of and repented of and put in the right place away from us so that we may draw close to god So now we're back to verse twenty-four. Everyone, therefore, it says, everyone who hears these words of mine, the words he's just spoken, and then acts on them, will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So now we've had two different roads and two different kinds of fruit and two different kinds of relationships. And now we have two different kinds of builders. Two different kinds of builders. Yasha, you know a lot about building now that you work for a builder, right? There's there's different kinds of buildings and different kinds of foundations. And that's what our passage concludes with. So Jesus has preached now for who knows how long. I don't know how long it took him. Gary, do you know how long it took to preach the Sermon on the Mount? I know we could read it, but did they have breaks for coffee and donuts and stuff like that? You know, it was like a day of... Pre- yeah, they had to have coffee. Maybe not donuts, maybe some fruit. But, but it took a while. He preached all of this, and now he's just sort of concluding now with how to enter the kingdom of heaven and what to watch out for and which road to choose and what kind of teachers to listen to, what kind of fruit to bear... And what kind of relationship to have with Jesus. So everyone who hears these words of mine. I, I, I love the fact that it's everyone. Jesus isn't excluding anyone. He never does. It's so funny that Christianity has this reputation of being like, you know, exclusive. You know, we're, 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 we're not inviting other people. It's completely the opposite. Jesus invites Everyone to be in relationship with him. He does say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, but everyone is welcome into me. Everyone is welcome into a relationship with him, and that is the good news. So we have these two builders who are building on two different foundations. And I think in all of these comparisons between the two roads and the two fruits and the two kinds of relationship and now the two builders, Jesus is asking us to examine our lives, to look at our lives. Are we one of the wise who hears the words of Christ and obeys the will of the Father? Or are we one of the foolish builders Who hears the word of Christ, because everyone is hearing it, but ignores and rejects those words and goes our own way? That's really the question. Jesus helps us to see that we all fall into one of these two categories. There's no third door. There's no third option. There's one way or the other. There's the good road or the bad road. There's the good fruit or the bad fruit. There's the real relationship with Jesus or the not relationship with Jesus. There really is no other way. And now we have there's a good foundation and a bad foundation. We need to examine our lives. Because the results of both of these options are very, very different. Right? One leads to destruction. One leads to life. That's the truth of what Jesus is teaching. There is no other option. He's not giving us a third option. If you were in the crowd, you might say, oh, well, you know, that seems a little harsh. Or that's a little black and white. Can we get some gray area in here somewhere? Jesus doesn't provide that for us. Let's read about these two foundations. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that's the key phrase, acts on them, because everyone hears, but not everybody acts on them. He will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it did not collapse. That's one option. A house that does not collapse. Because its foundation was on the rock. So this is key because it's not because that house was better than the other house. Not that that house was more special than the other house. It's the fact that that house was built on something different than the other house. On the rock. But everyone who hears, see, everyone hears, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them, see, the other one acted on, these people don't act on them, Will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And as if that wasn't enough, his final words, his final sentence. Let's read it together. It collapsed with a great crash. So it collapsed, but it wasn't like a gentle collapse, like. Slowly, it was ba boom, it collapsed with a great crash. That's the result of the house built on the sand. So, what do we learn from this? First of all, this way of life with Jesus is open to everyone, that's key. It's in verse 24, but we have to understand that because it's not an exclusive thing that only certain people, you know. And again, this is important at this time because we just finished the book of Acts, but we realize that Christianity did start with a certain group of people, the Jews, who we pray for because of the struggles that they're in again. But right now, in this ministry with Jesus, he realizes that this isn't just for the Jews. This message of good news and this invitation to life is for the whole world. Every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue is the everyone. And we as a church are to bring the word of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus to them so they can hear it and build their lives on it. We also have to hear it and build our lives on it. So no matter who you are, no matter what country you grew up in, no matter what language you speak, you have the ability to hear and respond to Jesus' call, to build your life on his words, on his kingdom, on the things that he teaches. So there's two houses in this illustration. Two men who build two houses. What is implied in this illustration is that These two houses have a lot in common. In fact, from the outside, they may appear identical. You may not be able to tell the difference by looking at the house itself. But there is one major difference. And this is consistent with what we've just seen in the other part of Jesus' conclusion. You know, we have wolves that look like sheep. And trees that look like they could produce fruit, but they don't. Not good fruit. And people that sound like they're doing something for God, but don't even know him. And now we have two houses. And I want you to picture this because this is the picture that they would be thinking of because this is a picture from that region of the world where there are rocky cliffs. And then down in the middle... There's a valley, and in the, in the middle of the valley, you see that sandy spot that kind of winds like this. When it rains, the water comes down through, because there's no trees there. It's not like New England, right? When it rains, our trees like soak it up. They don't have trees to soak it up. So when it rains, that middle part of that picture becomes a rushing river, a rushing stream, because all the water comes down and into that part. I want you to think about this for a minute. So he's talking to them about building your house sort of in the middle there, where it's flat, where it's probably easy to dig. You want to dig a foundation? Just get a shovel, a little sand pail, and start digging, right? Or on the rocks, which are further away, harder to reach, more difficult to find that solid place. Maybe they got to put some dynamite in and blow out a section of it so they can get a flat spot to put a foundation so that they can have their house. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's giving the Sermon on the Mount. They're on the Mount. Get it? They're on the rock listening to his words. Trying to understand what he's saying now about our relationship with God and that life that we all want and that eternity that he's offered us as a blessing. They're not down on the sand. So he sees that is an opportunity here to teach that yes, it's easier to build on the sand because it's just sand. You just anybody go to the beach this summer, make a sand castle? It's not hard. Right, even babies do it. You give them a little pail and little thing, and they make a sandcastle. Right, so you can build on sand very easily. That's one thing he said about that first, the first two right there in verse thirteen. The first thing about the gates and the in the road is that one is easy. It's wide. It's broad. It's wide and broad here at the bottom of this valley. Wide and broad, right? But the other one's narrow and difficult. Maybe getting up into the hills, there's narrow paths and they're difficult, right? But they lead to life. So as we think about these foundations, and as we think about the fact these houses could look the same on the outside, because we're all human, right? We look similar on the outside. There's something very different down underneath. And Jesus tells us that that wise man builds his house on the rock, but that foolish man built his house in the sand. Reminds me of the story of the three little pigs. You know the three little pigs? You got a big bad wolf. You know, he's huffing and puffing, gonna blow their house down, right? He's after them. And one of them takes the easy route. So said, oh, I'm going to make this house out of hay, right? I'm just going to gather up some, some straw here and just put it together, and I'll be safe. Well, we all know he wasn't safe. Then the next one said, well, that wasn't a good idea. Maybe I'll use sticks. They're a little stronger than hay. I'll make sticks, and I'll make a house out of sticks. And he huffed and puffed, and he got blown away. The wise pig used bricks, built his house out of bricks. Now, How long do you think it would take to build a house out of hay? I don't know, a couple hours. How long do you think it would take to build a house out of sticks? Maybe a few more hours. But how long do you think it would take, and how much money do you think it would take, to build a house out of bricks? It's going to take more effort. It's going to take more energy. It's going to take more time. But the results are way better because when that big old wolf comes and he's huffing, puff I'll puffing, I'll blow your house down, he runs out of steam. He doesn't have no more breath to breathe because he can't blow that house down. This reminds me of that. That idea that like, oh, you know, we like it easy. We like it quick. We like instant everything, instant oatmeal, instant coffee. We like everything to be instant and quick. In our spiritual lives, we better fight against that If that's in our flesh and now we want to apply that in spiritual terms, you better fight against that because when the enemy comes to huff and to puff and to blow your house down, you don't want it to blow down. That's the destruction. That's the big crash. You want to stand strong. So the rock is Christ, as someone just said. The wise person hears the words of Christ, which are just preached here on this Sermon on the Mount and then obeys them or puts them into action. Those who hear and obey are those who build their house on the rock. And guess what? It's not easy. It's not easy to hear the words of Jesus and to obey them. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's like that path that leads to life. It's like that fruit that's good to eat. It's like that relationship that truly knows God. And God truly knows us. It's worth it. People, discipleship is worth it. Discipleship has the word discipline in it. It's worth it. It's worth it for you to put in the effort to get out of bed a little bit earlier, to open up your Bible a little bit wider and a little bit more often so that you can hear the word of God and you can build your life on it because you're going to hear a lot of other words from a lot of other false teachers and a lot of other false philosophies and a lot of other ways to live your life. That's not the way to life. It's the way to destruction. And we're seeing the results of destruction all around us every day in people's lives who don't know Jesus. They don't know his words. They don't know his heart. They may have heard his name, but they don't know what he's like. And it is our job, church, to show what he's like, to show his love, to show his compassion, to show his wisdom, to show his joy. But we fail when we don't build our lives on his word, when we don't put it into action, when we say, oh, I'll do that later, oh, that's too difficult, I'm really tired You see, if you go back through this passage, you'll see that there are clues in it for what that sandy life is kind of built on. And I'll just quickly look at them, but the wise man, he built his house on Christ and on Christ's teachings and on the kingdom of God and on being obedient to follow and act on those things. But the foolish man builds his life on the sand, and and, and to define it, you have to go back into the message and pull out from there, what does that sandy life look like? Well, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, a sandy soil consists of hypocrisy, pretending we're better than we really are, putting other people down and judging them for things we do, but we don't let other people see. Hypocrisy is sandy ground. Worldliness is also mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, in its sandy ground, being like the world, wanting to be popular according to this world, wanting to have what this world has to offer. False teachings and lawbreakers are other terms that Jesus uses. When, when there's a response in verse 22, because this is the only place where we get a response, sort of where Jesus is, is, is telling us about this conversation with people who say to him, Lord, Lord. In verse 22, what we see, which I think should jump out at us, is that the focus of their argument on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy, didn't we We drive out demons in your name. Didn't we do miracles? I I think the focal point there, the thing that's wrong in all of that is it was all about them. It was all about their ministry. It was all about what they did. It wasn't the will of God, the will of the Father that was being carried out. It was what they did. And that's the problem with us is that often we get to focus on the wrong person. This is a foundation that people build their lives upon themselves. It's it's called self-righteousness, actually. Doing what's right in our own eyes, being self-centered, wanting people to see us do our good works. He talks about all these things in the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't remember, go back and read it again. Doing your works of righteousness so you'll be seen by others. All of this self-righteousness is sandy soil. The last days, which I believe we are living in, if you want to turn in your Bible quickly here to page uh, 1056, I want to read to you a little passage that's written about the last days. And I want to see if you can identify whether we are in the last days or not. And I believe that this is the similar soil that people are building their lives on. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love the subtitle there that's up above. It says, difficult times ahead. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this. Hard times will come in the last days. Here's why. And I believe this is sandy soil. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers. Without self control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Their lives are built on sand. Doesn't matter how they look on the outside. Doesn't matter if they're attractive or what they have looks great. Their lives are built on sand. Those who build on sand collapse when the storm comes. So let's talk about the storm here before we end. In Jesus' illustration of these two houses that look the same, but foundations are different, it appears that the storms are similar. And it appears that way because we read the English translation. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded both houses. That's how it looks in English. But I want you to realize something. If you could read it in the Greek, there's two different words there in verse 25 and verse 27. When you hear the word pounded, that the, the, the storms pounded, while both words are the same for us in English, if you look up the original Greek of either of those words, you notice that they're two different Greek words. In verse 25, we have the Greek word, prospito, which means to violently fall upon, attack, or rush upon the house. In the context of these verses in 25, it means something like a global tsunami Some huge, heavy storm coming down with a huge amount of water that rushes through. And do you know that house that's built on the rock withstands that? No matter what comes to those who build their house on the rock of Jesus Christ, they will stand No matter what comes, no matter war or famine or angels or demons, that, that whole list that Paul gives us in Romans 8, it doesn't matter. You can stand when your house is built on the rock, on Jesus. But the interesting thing is the next time we see Jesus use that phrase, which is in verse 27, in English it sounds the same. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, and pounded that house. That word pounded in this verse is a different Greek word. proskopto. Don't know how to say it exactly. proskopto, Which means to dash against like a small wave or to surge against the house. In this context, it means that a smaller amount of water maybe like an overflowed stream or an overflowed riverbank, a smaller amount of water comes in, goes against the foundation of that house and washes the sand away. And washes the sand away. It doesn't take a tsunami to wash sand away, does it? It just takes a little trickle of water that's consistent. And as the tide comes in, it pulls the sand and pulls the sand and pulls the sand. And that house that's built on that foundation comes down with a huge crash just from the consistent, irritable, annoying water that's coming against it, against it, against it. So I wanted you to see that because that's what's different in this story. The huge storm, tsunami, cannot take down the house that's on the rock, but a little overflowed stream or brook can take down the house that's built on anything but the rock. See the comparison? See what's happening there? So if your house is being built on Jesus and his teachings and his word and carrying those teachings out, not even the biggest, toughest difficulties of life can throw you down your house will stand. You'll be able to weather the storm because Jesus is your strength. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your deliverer. He is your protector. He is your shield. He will hold you up no matter what. But if your house or your life is not grounded on Christ, if it's grounded on anything else, if it's not grounded on his word and his truth applied to your life, if it's grounded on the opinions of others, if it's grounded on being popular, if it's grounded on how much money you have in the bank, if it's grounded on your own selfishness or your own pride, that sand will eventually erode away from your foundation. The tiniest little difficulties will continue to pull you down until you crash with a great crash. That is the lesson here. This is why it's so important and is the conclusion of Jesus' message because we got to get this right. We got to build our life on the right foundation because if you build it on anything else, it doesn't even take much and you will crash. You will end in destruction. And notice, Jesus describes the storm of life as a matter of fact. Jesus does not say if a storm comes, He says, when the storms come. Because raise your hand if you've been through a storm or two. Or three. Or if you're in the middle of one right now. Or you just got through one. They come. The storms come. And because Jesus loves us and wants us to experience life in him, he gives us himself, his very self, to be our foundation. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be smart enough. Jesus is strong enough and smart enough for you. And when you build your house on him, you're grounded on the right things. Twice, he says, the rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house. So there are no exceptions. Your house will be tested. My house will be tested. There's no getting around it. The question is, and the point that Jesus is making, is whether or not your foundation will be on him or on anything else. Because if it's on him, it will stand up to the test. So my question for me in reading this and you in reading this, have we chosen to build on the right foundation? God, I pray we have. I pray we have. I pray you have. I pray I have. I pray my children have. Built on the right foundation. Have you entered through the right gate? Are you walking on the right road? Are you listening to the right kind of teaching? Are you doing the things that are the will of the Father for you to do? Have you built your spiritual house on the rock that's the question and I'm here to tell you Jesus wants you to he does not want you building on sand he loves you too much for that he did not create you so he could watch you crash and be destroyed he created you so he could pour his life into you and live through you into eternity that you could be a child of God dearly loved welcomed in his family, an inheritor of all his inheritance. Because you have heard his word and you have applied it to your life. And you live that way every day, building on it every day. Because guess what? Your spiritual house isn't done yet. There's still some work to be done on it. Amen? If you think it is, then you know, you've got pride, so now you've got problems. So, Spiritual houses are still being built right here with us even now in this very moment. Spiritual houses are being built. Maybe you need to replace a window or two. Maybe there's some shingles that need, that haven't gone up. Maybe it needs another paint job or something like that. But your house is not done being built. And this is the idea about being disciples and becoming disciple makers, is that we're always in the process of being disciples. If we keep following Jesus and keep listening to his word and keep applying his word to our lives, then we are building our spiritual house. And we can help others to discover that as well. And to build their spiritual house. Because God is a builder. He's a master builder. He built the whole universe. Everything that we see, scripture says, was created by him for his glory. Including you and you and you and me. For his glory. Why would he build a junky house that's going to fall down? That's not his will for you. That's the will of the enemy. That's even your self will. Some of us are self-destructive, but the will of God for you is that you would have a beautiful spiritual house to live in for eternity with him and that he builds it as you follow him, as you obey him. I love this message. It just, it just helps me so much to understand what God's all about, what he wants in my life, what he wants in your life. He wants to bless you. He wants you to grow. He wants your house to be beautiful. Like this one on the coast here. Love that house. I always say to my wife when we're on the coast, I go, well, I'm going to have one better than that in heaven. I'm going to have one better than that in heaven. I'm building, I'm building, but it's going to be in heaven. I'm not having it here. I don't even want it here. It would be too much to take care of. But up there, I want it. What I want to do is just look at these last couple of verses. Verse 28 and 29. Because Jesus is done talking. His last few words are, it collapsed with a great crash. That's his warning. Be alert. Don't build your life on sand. You will collapse with a big crash. Those are his last words. And now look at the reaction of the crowd who listened to this teaching. It says, "When Jesus had finished saying these things, so when he concluded his sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching." Now, just to give you a little Greek, "astonished" actually means blown away, (laughs) flattened. It does. If you look up, I'm telling you, do some Greek research. It's very exciting. But it's it's not a boring word like, "Oh, I was so astonished." It's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm blown away by this truth." This stuff is unbelievable. Oh, what am I going to do? You know, like That's blown away by his teaching. So they were blown away by his teachings. And I love that because he was talking about a storm and da-da-da-da, but can't get into all that. But they were just blown away and flattened by his teachings, not by the storm, by his teachings. Because, and why? Why? So there's a reason why they're so astonished at his teaching. Verse 29 Because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes or teachers. I I thought about that, meditated on that for a while. The scribes and teachers, they would take different rabbis' thoughts on different parts of the Old Testament, and they would discuss them together. And one would say, well, I think it means this. Another would say, well, this guy says it means this. And this guy says it means this. And this one says that God meant this. And and that's how the Jews learned. It's part of how they, they discipled. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He didn't say, well, maybe it means this. It might mean that. In different situations, it could be applied this way. Jesus just told him like it was. He said, this is the way it is. If you build your house on that sand, it's going to come down with a big crash. The end definitely going to happen. And then he signed it, Jesus. Right? He has authority. His word is authority. You can take it to the bank. He's not going to say, well, yeah, I did say that, but I'm thinking I might rewrite that passage. He's not like that. I'm going to edit that version. No! He speaks the truth because he is the truth. And so whatever he has revealed to us, we have to deal with. We don't like it, we have to deal with it. We think it's too hard, too bad, we have to deal with it. We want to whine and complain, read the Old Testament, see what happens to those people. it's not pretty his word is authoritative and so they were astonished by it but they also recognized this man knows what he's talking about he should be listened to and followed so if you know what he's talking about and you think he should be listened to and followed then let's stand up and sing this song together As a declaration. Because this song was written based on this passage. And it is a declaration to our souls that if you built your house on Christ, it don't matter what you're going through, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. One way or the other, he's going to bring you through. Because he doesn't fail. Our God does not fail. But if you built your house on that sand, I'm sorry for you. There's a big crash coming. Get it right. Deal with that in your heart, in your spirit with God. We all together can help each other to all deal with this and all begin to establish ourselves wholly and fully on Christ. Amen.